Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Logan Finney. Joining me this week are Lon Colton, Oneida County Clerk, and Sharice Sprague, Power County Clerk, to discuss preparations for the 2022 primary election. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Logan. Happy to be here. So, Sheree, I'll start with you. We are just about a month away from the primary election. That is on Tuesday, May 17th. What is happening in your office right now to get ready? We're in the middle of testing equipment and ballots, assigning poll workers, finishing up details of setting up our precincts. Uh, we are creating poll worker training, uh, checking and auditing supplies and maps and everything that they need on election day at the precincts, preparing for poll books and publishing details and deadlines. Um, I just brought back my media from Omaha and we will be doing testing of all of the ballot layouts on Tuesday. We will get to that uh, work that you were doing in Omaha in just a moment. But Lon, what about you? How is how's your elections office getting ready? It, it's pretty standard, uh, busy as usual. So yeah, the, the main focus here is testing the ballots, making sure that the program media is registering correctly in our automated tabulators. Uh, also preparing the poll workers to have them run through training. In my county, most of the poll workers uh, are returning. So the training is more of a refresher. Uh, And then it's just preparing for the early vote, which will begin two weeks before. So we'll start on May 2nd to allow voters that are unable to or desire to vote early to come into our office and, uh, and participate in the voting process that way. It might be worth mentioning for, for voters and people to understand what that testing means. So we develop all of our ballots um, through a portal. Um, we have ballots that are then created and sent out to us. I do ballot on demand, so I don't have any pre-printed ballots except for backups in case we have a malfunction. Um, I think Lon is still printing ballots. Um, we will then get a test deck that has been pre-marked from our um, equipment company that prepares those for us. And then we mark ballots in-house as well. We run those through the machine and we cross-check those results with our hand-counted results to make sure everything matches exactly so that when everything goes out to the polls and we start doing election day, we have confidence that the numbers will come in correctly. And in the 2020 presidential election, just a couple years ago already, Idaho saw the highest number of registered voters and very, very high turnout numbers. Um, However, in Oneida County and Power County, you guys are smaller counties, under 10,000 people in population. Are those growth numbers we're seeing in urban areas like the Treasure Valley or Kootenai County impacting your areas as well? Actually, for Oneida County, where the May primary in 2020 was all mail out, uh, in that process, they still have to they still have to request the ballot. So we still had to receive the um, absentee ballot request. That request allows a voter to choose all elections for that election year if they want to. So the big impact was when the November um, twenty twenty election rolled around. Most people were already set up to receive that absentee ballot. And that was a bit of a problem because I don't think people realized that they had made that choice. But as far as going forward, actually, I would average between 40 to 60 absentee requests um, 
in Oneida County. That has actually declined since then, but I attribute that to more voter awareness to the early vote option where they can come into my office and vote. But it, it's really stabilized back to the original original um, numbers prior to the 2020 election year. Sure, that primary election in 2020, because of the coronavirus pandemic, was shifted to no in-person polling places entirely via mailed ballots. Um, and at the state level, we had heard part of the explanation for that was during the pandemic, it had become really hard for clerks to recruit poll workers to work the polls in person. Was that the case for your areas as well? And how is that recovering? That was uh, very much the case. Most of my poll workers are um, senior uh, ladies and, and a few gentlemen that help out. And that was a very big concern for them because they were in that demographics that were very, very capable of contracting the coronavirus. So that was a big concern. They were very hesitant and I I doubt I could have found enough poll workers to fill in that would have had the competence in that short of time to do the training that they would have had a successful election, I think. I would say that we were similar um, to Lon in that. The other problem that we had was locations where we go to do our voting and, and we use various locations around. They were concerned with having a large number of people going in and out of there. Um, and so I think that was a big part of that. Um, our numbers through the absentee process increased quite a bit as well, but they seem to have have dropped off again as well as like Lawn has. I think it's just been a new awareness of all the different options. I don't know that we'll really know how steady that's going to be until the November election. Um, 2021, things were a little bit different and odd number, odd election years have uh, lower turnout just because of the types of elections you have going. And so it's really the even year elections where you can kind of watch your stats and develop some sort of uh, information to follow. And is there anything in particular that you guys are keeping an eye on this election day in regard to those trends or stats, or is it just boots on the ground, making sure everybody's votes get counted? I don't think anything in specific other than what we normally do. We do a lot of cross-check and vetting of everything that we do. We all take elections very seriously. I think we do a good job in Idaho of running elections. Um, just a lot of voter awareness. I, I have increased and stepped up my education throughout our community to make sure I'm trying to be available to various groups to go in and speak and answer questions. But outside of that, it's pretty much as we've always been. And we haven't changed our process either. The thing that will be interesting to me, there's there's this movement across the country and, and especially here in Idaho. The the I'm curious to see if that voter turnout increases um, for the even number of years, the, the primary and general election in my county and then statewide, because as Sheree mentioned, um, the, the election numbers tend to drop off unless you have the, the primary of the general election. And, and it's, it's shown an increase in percentage of voter turnout over the past. And, and so I'm curious to see if that continues to increase or if it, it holds steady or if there's any decline, uh, just to kind of get a pulse on, on the, 
the, the overall voter in Idaho. Uh, during the legislative session this year, there were a lot of voting and election security related bills. And we don't need to get into deep detail here because a lot of them didn't pass. Um, but whether they were regarding registration or party affiliations or forms of ID, collecting absentee ballots, if you're a experienced voter in Idaho, is there anything new this year that you need to be ready for walking into your polling place? I would say um, not related to any law changes. Um, there were over there were 54 bills that went through legislation last year. This year there were 60. Um, the majority of those did not uh, get through everything. And but as Lon mentioned earlier, we are going to be working through some of those details with the legislators and the bill sponsors to see if there's something that we need to really look at and improve the situation. One thing that um, I think is significant that I, I am concerned about, I guess, or want to make sure we're aware of is historically the Secretary of State's office has had a directive out there that said when you do a new voter registration card, um, and because you've changed your address or gotten married, that is deemed as a new voter registration process. And it would allow a person to then choose a party affiliation at that time. They have now changed their viewpoint of that for this year and um, just let us know in January that they were looking at it at possibly coming this way. But it, it now says if you are a registered voter in Idaho, you cannot change your party affiliation after March 11th. And so I had a gentleman that moved over here from Bannock County, wanted to change his party um, affiliation and could not. And so that, if there's anything that might catch voters off guard, it may be that, that just the way that's viewed. I think if you read the laws, it, it kind of leans to be more the way they're looking at it now, but that's not how it's been handled in previous years in the state of Idaho. And Lon, anything you want to add there? No, I, I think uh, Sri mentioned the, the main change that they would have to be aware of, and that's if you're already affiliated, you would not be able to change that, even if you change addresses. The other thing that Sri hit on is because of all of the election bills that were proposed, the legislature has opted to put together a work meeting prior to next year's legislative session where they can discuss some of the different um, options or, or proposals that were made, maybe that they can draft something that would be um, passable in their view. Uh, I think that I would like the, the people listening to your podcast to know that Idaho has a very good um, election system as far as what we have in, in the total country. They should be proud of what they have. However, there's always room for improvement and, and better securities because there just is. And um, the clerks are interested and in, would like to be at that table to have those discussions so that we can um, put the voter at ease to know that our elections are secure and we would relish any input that um, voters have so that we can help address those um, perceived issues or actual issues, depending on what they are, but but they ought to be proud of what, what elections Idaho, um, the process Idaho has currently, and we are trying to move forward and improve it, not just change to change, but change to uh, make better. 
And if I could add to that, you know, I think a specific point to that would be the ballot harvesting bill that was presented um, for passage. We, we don't even have an option for that in Idaho. To me, I feel like that was a sense of a lot of distrust and some problems that had happened nationwide where you could harvest ballots and people could go pick up ballots on behalf of others. And I think this way we have that now is much more secure than allowing that. And that's the importance of needing somebody that is boots on the ground that does that every day to have that discussion with the bill sponsors as to why what you're trying to get in place in, under the means of increasing election security may have the opposite effect if it's passed with the way it was written. And speaking of election security, one bill that did pass now allows um, for the Secretary of State's office to conduct post-election audits, which is something that the Secretary's office did after the 2020 election. They um, audited Camas, Butte, and Bonner counties um, as sort of an ad ad hoc process. And now under this new legislation, that's more of a formalized process. Um, Do you and the clerk's offices expect this to change much for your running of the election? We've had discussions about post-election audits for years. And I I mean, long before the 2020 election, we have been in discussions about, you know, how that should come about and how it would work and trying to come up with a collaboration with the Secretary of State's office that would make sense. And so the way we handle things, I don't, I mean, we do a really good job. Camas, Butte, and Bonner counties, they um, volunteered to do audits. Um, in relation to some bad information that was posted about uh, manipulation of Idaho elections. And all of those audits came back well under the threshold of what you would need. I think if anything, there should be, um, we'll be doing a little bit better organization of how we store our ballots and all of our election materials after the election so that if you're selected for audit, um, those that information can be readily available and easy to find. Um, if you're selected, you're basically the sheriff's office will come in and seize all of your election materials. They are then going to be held offsite in a secure location until all of the parties are available to do the audit. It's really not much different of a system than we have in place if somebody were to request a recount. It, if I was in an election and I requested a recount that is filed. As soon as that's filed, the secretary of state's office would send a subpoena to the sheriff's office, directing them to come seize all of our election materials. So it's really no different. That's what we do as part of our canvas. It's just another way to double check and cross check everything um, that everything's getting done and, and tabulated correctly. So for me, I don't anticipate my very first election after becoming a clerk, I had a recount, so I got to learn really quick what that was and what it meant, and I put in a lot of protocols because of that experience that we follow to this day. And Lon, do you think that adding these post-election audits to the process, do you think that'll help shore up public trust in elections? I hope it does. Uh, it, it should, to know that an outside party being the Secretary of State's office is coming in just to do a verification, and it's the audit will be random. Uh, as far as counties and precincts are counted. So it, it should give some comfort to those that may question um, the election itself. Um, I'm anticipating that uh, we get good feedback. 
How does this new audit scheme fit in with the other measures that you county clerks already take at the local level to ensure that results are accurate? At the end of the election, um, Shree mentioned the canvas, and that's the process where we'll go through and have an accounting of all the ballots. So every ballot that is, in my case, pre-printed that I have shipped to me, I know exactly where it's been used, whether it was sent to a mail ballot precinct, whether it was an early vote, whether it was election day um, ballot used, or even the test deck that was mentioned when we do our logic and analysis test, all of those ballots are accounted for. And then the tabulators um, keep track to some degree of, of what's been run through each individual tabulator. So you just make an accounting of all of those possibilities, where the ballots went to, whether they came back. Uh, not all ballots are returned. So I have two mail ballot precincts and on an average uh, election, I get about 50% um, participation. So you, you have to make an accounting of the ballots that are returned, the ballots that are still outstanding, which become a spoiled ballot. Um, after that canvas, then you take those numbers, the commissioners and the commissioners review what you've done and then they will certify that. Those are the numbers that we send to the state. Uh, the process won't change a lot, as Sri said, for the audit because we already track, we already um, keep the ballots, the cast ballots secure and locked. Uh, the only change will be if we're selected would be that the Secretary of State's office will be the one that, that selects a team of people to come and perform that audit. Uh, I believe I've never been through a, a recount, but I believe that the clerks are in charge of doing that recount under the supervision of the state officials. So that's about the, that's about the only difference there. And I think just one more thing I would add that happens during the canvas is we do a vetting of any voter registration changes or new voter registrations that have come in to make sure all of the information has been checked appropriately by the poll workers and that we can properly vet that that is a qualified voter to be entered into the system. And Cherie, you spent part of this week in Omaha, Nebraska, doing some vendor training and some security training. Can you briefly run me through what your trip was like and what you learned? Certainly. I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we've had so much uh, media inquiry about the process of trusting the equipment and everything else. I had reached out to uh, ESNS, that's Election Security and Software. They are the primary vendor for a majority of the counties. And we have seven counties that are all hand count that don't use any sort of a tabulation system. Some of them use a hybrid um, and then we have some counties that use some different uh, equipment, but the majority of the counties use, well, at least over half of them, I think, use um, ES&S. And so I'd ask them about maybe bringing all their stuff on site and helping us to be able to vet that and really have a one-to-one -one in person knowledge of how that works. So we aren't just relying on something somebody told us when people are asking us questions. and. So they opted um, to invite us to their, their home headquarters in Omaha, Nebraska, and um, to go through that. And it was really interesting to understand all of the extra measures that they do to provide secure equipment. Um, one thing that was very interesting to me to understand is none of 
the equipment or the pieces and parts that go into their equipment is manufactured outside the United States. They um, develop it there, they test it there, and when they're ready to produce it, they vet all of the manufacturers that are going to be producing that. They have to be qualified through Department of Homeland Security. They work with national companies all over to vet these companies that are going to produce those materials. And then once those are back, put back together, they bring them back on site and do a lot of rigorous testing long before they ever go to any sort of certification process. Um, the Idaho Depart uh, Idaho National Lab Laboratories did an in-depth deep dive into all of their equipment to vet those and try to break them and came back with some information as to things that they found that might be kind of maybe a wormhole that somebody could get into. And, and with that information, they strengthened up their stuff. Um, it was really interesting to kind of go through and get the process. We were able to see all the different areas. Um, the number of layers of security that they go through to make sure they don't have one person that does one thing with your stuff. If we send our media jump drives over, our ballots are prepared and, and cross-checked by one person, that goes to another person to program. Once the programming's done, that goes to another person to test. Then it goes back to another person and it's run through another test before it comes to us. There's so much stuff that goes on to make sure that we are providing very clean, secure elections. And I thought that was very interesting to go through that, really give us an uh, in-depth knowledge. Their machines are used nationwide. Not all states have the same uh, requirements as to what can be used on their election materials. I know that um, they were questioned about being able to be connected to the internet in some other states. That does not happen in Idaho. We have hardened systems. You cannot connect those. They can only access things by putting a jump drive in on site to move material back and forth. But some counties or some states do allow that, but it's on a closed circuit. It's never connected to the internet. So it's really helpful to understand the difference and how that works um, to be able to answer questions when people bring those to us. I was unable to, to attend the training, but I am very comfortable with uh election systems and software, um, as was mentioned, they have a detailed um, process in place. And then everything that they've done, that they ship to us, all of the, the coding and everything, we also double check. So I think the voters should be confident with um, the election systems. Logan, another thing we did while we were there is we met with the Douglas County Elections Office. Um, they have been doing post-election audits for years in their state. And so we had 19 counties represented at that uh, event um, for the training and the tour of the Douglas County. And it was very interesting to understand. We went ahead. We knew that we had this legislation coming. We were proactive in going in to find out you know, what have they learned? What are some things we need to understand um, as we're preparing for post-election audit? And I think the one thing that I took away from there that that I'm, I think I'm going to initiate is they do a separate check of all of their materials that come in. So as a ballot comes back in, they record that through a separate uh, process, and then they put it in through the election voting um, 
software, and then they make sure those things match every day. And I thought that's just another cross-check that we could do that I have not been doing in my office. We, we do vet those by the number that's in the software versus the number that's on my DS200, but it's a, just another layer that I can put in there to cross-check that everything is matching up every day. Um, if people do have questions, the election department in each county should be able to address any concerns they have. And relatively few people call when they have questions. They, they run to the coffee shop or the neighbor next door and they complain about a perceived issue. But if they just call their election department, that, that more than likely will put their, their concern at ease because they'll find out straight from the the office that's handling the elections. Yeah, that's the thing I would like to just really, really hammer on. You know, we have a lot of people that are questioning because they've heard stuff. We want those questions. We're ready for those. We, but we just ask that you have an open mind and you're ready to really learn based on what the situation is. Um, what we're finding is people are getting information from outside resources, outside of the state, and they're really holding on to that. And and we want to make sure that they're getting the good information and they know exactly what's really happening. I believe that is everything we wanted to get to today. Us at Idaho Reports will be keeping an eye on election results coming up and after the 17th. You guys will have your hands full actually administering the election. So we wish you best of luck with that. Thank you, Logan. Thank you, Logan. Lon Colton, Oneida County Clerk, and Cherie Sprague, Power County Clerk, thanks so much for your time this week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marsha Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.